It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Uh, that, that music could only mean one thing. It's time to get started with the Brian Kilmeade uh, radio show. This hour, as we bring you the latest breaking news from around the world, uh, insight and experts, we got Senator Marsha Blackburn. Uh, she's coming to us from Tennessee, a state that's pretty much open. Uh, even Broadway's getting opened up uh, over there in Nashville. And Alan Dershowitz at the bottom of the hour. A couple of things. I want to find out how he'd represent the 26-year veteran who resigned. That looks like they're going to go for a pension and my press charges today, as well as Derek Chauvin. The prosecution started this week. The prosecution gets started this week. And we'll find out what their, uh, uh, the way they're going to, excuse me, the defense gets starts this uh, week. The prosecution rests so we'll find out how they're planning on defending Derek Chauvin. We already got a quick look. They looked at a previous arrest and how he was handled uh, back then. Uh, so let's get to the big three. You remember where you're at on September 11th, 2001. Our military told President Biden that if you withdraw all of our forces, al-Qaeda and ISIS will come roaring back. He rejected that advice. Afghanistan is going to deteriorate pretty rapidly. He's paving the way for another 9-11. He is. Remember Iraq. Let's pull out. Surge worked. You blew it. We had to go all the way back there with 10,000 more troops. Huge mistake. President Biden says we're leaving Afghanistan on 9-11-2021. And the exit is not condition-based. After 20 years, we just hand the country back to the Taliban. Is that our best in our best interest? I say no, and I'll explain. Number two. All 50 states have agreed to stop using Johnson & Johnson's COVID vaccine for now. More than 7.2 million Americans have received the one-dose shot, and at least six of them have developed serious blood clots. The CDC and the FDA say the condition appears to be extremely rare. So why do we stop it? The FDA stuns the world by pausing the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. A pause. Is this really based on six or seven cases out of seven or eight million shots? Will the single shot come back online soon? And why Michigan Republicans rebuke the CDC and refuse to lock down? I don't blame them. Number one. She did not have to even tase this young man. It was a misdemeanor warrant. They always seem to do the most engaging, the most excessive use of force when it's a marginalized minority. When it's black people, they seem to engage in the most excessive force. Uh, that's Benjamin Crump uh, creating unrest again. Arrest made, resignation submitted. Irresponsible statements from prominent officials dominate in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, after the shooting death of Dante Wright. We get the facts and widespread violence that followed. About 50 or 60 arrested last night. Unrest, of course, if you're angry about a shooting uh, and with the police, wreck a dollar store and, and destroy a footlocker. That's exactly what they did. Now they're throwing in bricks, huge items at the cops who did go out and arrest more than the other previous night. Nights. Uh, the quote was uh, from the police. The behaviors that we continue to see are unacceptable and are not going to be tolerated. It is not acceptable and will not be tolerated if you choose to do criminal activity and destroy property and throw objects and make it unsafe for people to come and exercise their First Amendment rights. We will stop you. Uh, so that's exactly what happened. Yesterday, we find out 
a 26-year veteran, has resigned or commissioned. The police chief resigned. Now it's time for a new police chief. It turns out this uh, this woman who has a husband is a retired police official. Uh, she was head of uh, the the police union. She was also training a rookie officer. That's why she was out and about. Now keep in mind, too, that there there was a misdemeanor. There was an outstanding warrant for Dante Wright. The warrant was for, uh, was for his arrest for attempted aggravated robbery charges after choking and holding a woman at gunpoint for $820 in 2019. Now, you might say, why are you pulling people over for expired registration? All right. Why are you running his background check? That's what you do. And when there's an extended warrant, uh, outstanding warrant, what do you want them to do? Walk away? They're not. Now, before they could even get the cuffs on, he tries to drive away. They try to subdue him because you don't let suspects drive away with outstanding warrants. And it is a violent warrant, by the way. Choking and holding a woman at gunpoint, it's pretty bad. So instead of letting him get away, they're going to use a stun gun. Stun gun's a shotgun. Pulls away anyway. He later dies. Sad all around. Mayor Mike Elliott continues to be, to me, way over his head. Cut three. We don't want the flag to um, be a flashpoint that, you know, angers people and, and does that in a way that, you know, that they're, they're, they're going to come the, to the department. And so we've asked the flag to be removed. I do believe that the, the flag is, is no longer there. And, and what's there is uh, the American flag. So uh, what they did is they replaced the blue line flag at a police station with the American flag. At least they put the American flag up. So those are the types of things they're doing. Uh, you don't want to show support for the police. I'm, I'm troubled in a country that allows Seattle, Portland to riot for over a year. Again, they did it last night in Philadelphia. Worst the city has ever been in my lifetime, New York City. Uh, thankfully, has uh, not had a lot of the violent arrests that we saw last year at this time. But Kim Potter uh, resigned yesterday, but that was not good enough. People still want to rally and wreck stores. So Ronald Johnson, who... Uh, had a lot to do with uh, things calming down over in Missouri. It was on Fox News primetime. Remember, after uh, after we saw what happened uh, with the death of Michael Brown, Ronald Johnson wanted to get trust back in that community. Cut five. By communicating, but actually getting out there and talking to the people in the community, but listening, not having quick answers, but listening and taking action uh, based on what I was hearing. I think you have to be transparent in, in every way that you can. Uh, be out front with it. Uh, the things that are going well, you have to be say yes, they are. But the things that you need to work on, you need to talk about those, those issues and discuss those issues and bring as many people to the table that you can uh, in a form of inclusion of everybody that's involved in that situation that's there. So that's what you got to do. You got to get on the street and you got to uh, talk to people. And you got to put the curfews on, but you can't let chaos reign. Everywhere I look, it is empty the prisons, cops are bad, and then, by the way, defund them if you can. Places like Oakland realizes the folly of defunding police. We'll see if other states realize that and other cities like New York realize the follies of defunding the police. But irresponsible lawmakers, this is what I'm talking about, Rashid Tlaib. It was not an accident. Policing in our country is inherently intentionally racist. Dante Wright was met with aggression and violence. I am done with those who condone government-funded murder. No more policing, incarceration, and militarization. It cannot be reformed. All right, good luck. You turn in 
uh, your security. You make sure police don't work your neighborhood. Best of luck the rest of the way. Ted Cruz says no more policing. It doesn't get more explicit than this, that Democrats want to abolish the police. Ken Buck, senator from Colorado. If you don't want bad guys in jail or police protecting your cities, why don't we start with your district and see how it goes? No kidding. Everybody's frustrated, but I don't see race in this, and I see a huge mistake in this. My hope is she's not indicted because clearly her record is spotless or else it would have come out. Clearly she's been emblematic of a successful police officer uh, with a 26-year career and wanted to continue at the age of 47, but now she won't. Next, what is happening with Johnson & Johnson? I just don't get it. Are we getting the whole story? I mean, you know how great Johnson & Johnson is. One shot, and you don't have to have that uh, sub-zero temperatures, so it's easy to transfer. But then yesterday— They do an announcement. There's going to be a pause in Johnson & Johnson. Six out of the nearly 7 million Americans who received J&J developed blood clots, and the Centers for Disease Control and the FDA recommended they, out of an abundance of caution, in a joint statement, put the whole thing on pause. Really? So you know it's hard getting people to believe in the vaccine, and now you say we're going to pause it like AstraZeneca, we're going to pause it. The numbers are so small. Could they have done something instrumental? If you're worried about women, for example, clotting, you probably wouldn't give them birth control pills. Because if you look statistically, there's more of a chance of a blood clot from a birth control pill by a far, by a huge margin than there is with the Johnson & Johnson shot. And I'm telling you, this, people are going to say, whatever happens, I will not take that shot. Anthony Fauci was out there saying, okay, I think it's a good move. Uh, Joe Biden said it's no big deal. I've been depending on other people. This is what Dr. Vivek Murthy said. I felt as though there was more to the story. She indicates there is. Cut 13. What's different about these blood clots is they're not the average run-of-the-mill blood clot that we hear about all the time. These are an unusual type of clot that occurs when your levels of platelets or cells that help with clotting in the blood are actually low as well. And in that situation, you don't treat with the usual blood thinners, uh, like heparin, for example, that you typically give in the hospital. That requires actually a very different treatment. And uh, and in fact, if you give the conventional treatment, you can worsen the situation. So this is why we wanted to have a chance to communicate openly with people. Mm -hmm. But remember this, these pauses are actually common when new vaccines and drugs are rolled out. So this is not unusual. But I understand what the pause does. You've got to put an additional warning on there. AstraZeneca was paused. Now it's back. What's changed? When we come back, I'm going to ask Senator Marsha Blackburn about this whole war with corporations. They're weighing in on what they say are new restrictive voting laws to keep out minorities. It is just not true. They're trying to rein in laws that were loosened up because of the pandemic. We'll find out about that. Can the Republican Party survive without corporate support? They might have to. We'll see. As well as this uh, a war on baseball that seems to be happening. And we'll find out about an infrastructure bill that has so much more in infrastructure. Infrastructure makes up less than 30% of that bill. Then Alan Dershowitz on the Chauvin trial, the officer who has now lost her job, and more. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Don't move. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. 
It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. all of you who are listening, you remember where you're at on September 11th, 2001. Our military told President Biden that if you withdraw all of our forces, Al-Qaeda and ISIS will come roaring back. Um, Afghanistan would disintegrate into civil war. And we can avoid all of that by having three to 5,000 American forces making sure that ISIS and al-Qaeda never come back to hurt us. He rejected that advice. Afghanistan is going to deteriorate pretty rapidly. Al-Qaeda and ISIS are going to come back. And that is Lindsey Graham yesterday. It is such a bad move. We've seen this movie before for President Biden just to pull all our troops out, say ahead of time, not conditions-based, we're leaving. Taliban are so arrogant, they're upset because Donald Trump promised to leave on May 1st. It was a bad move when President Trump brought it up. It's not a forever war. It's a national security interest. We left Iraq. It was totally quiet. The surge had worked. Even though President Obama was against the surge, he pulled all our troops out. He had to put 10,000 back in and then fight this new group called ISIS all the way through Syria as they beheaded Americans. Senator Marsha Blackburn, um, I know Republicans uh, don't care about this war. Are you one of them? One of the things that we have to keep at the forefront, Brian, is this is about our national security. And to give a date certain to say, well, we're going to be gone, uh, we're not going to be present, and um, Afghanistan, have at it. Uh, Taliban, have at it. ISIS, have at it. And to do this on September 11th. 2021 to mark 20 years. I I just I can't get my head around that. I know. I mean, like they said, the Pentagon said we recommend about 2,000 troops. The airstrikes alone keep the Afghan government in place. Allow women to go to school. The Taliban will lock them up, burker them up, and start terrorizing the world while they welcome Al Qaeda back. They have said this. Well, that is the thing. And bear in mind, when I was reading some of the information last night as we were looking at Biden's announcement on how he wanted to construct this exit, um, I, I thought, you know, what we have to realize is 
After World War II, what did we do? We set up military bases that are still operational today. When you look at UCOM, which is the combatant command, the European command, when you look at the Indo-Pacific with PACCOM, when you look at CENTCOM, why do we have those acronyms that are used by the Department of Defense? It is because of where we have troops placed around the globe. And Brian, as a member of the Senate Armed Services Committee, as I travel and work with our men and women in uniform yeah. and our leadership team. And at, in Tennessee at Fort Campbell, I hear regularly, we serve ourselves well when our focus is peace through strength. Yeah, and we'll see what happens to the Pentagon budget. My fingers are crossed. It's not going to get gutted as, he, as the spending goes through the roof. Uh, you, you, have a, you are calling out uh, China for their censorship at American schools. I did not know this was existing. In what respect? Uh, what you have happening is these Confucius classrooms in K-12 through schools and Confucius institutes on our college campuses. And, Brian, uh, your listeners probably are familiar with some of the colleges that have had uh, spies. They found out they had spies, Chinese Communist Party spies, on their college campuses. And many times the affiliation comes in through the soft propaganda arm of the Chinese Chinese Communist Party, which is these Confucius Institutes, and they went into place uh, primarily saying they were going to be there for cultural education. Well, lo and behold, what do you know? They find a way to, when they send visiting professors, who are they connected to? The Chinese Communist Party. What are they there for? To spy on and to seek information and to report back to Beijing. When you see the Sister Cities program and the soft propaganda that is practiced there, what have we learned? that some of these Chinese spies find their way into communities, into these cultural exchange programs. They Amazing. identify people they think will move up the ranks. We saw that with Eric Swalwell, and then help them get elected to office. Uh, amazing uh, that that's going on. I want you to hear what Harvey Golub said on Coast to Coast, the former CEO of American Express, about corporations getting involved in politics. Cut 21. 21. If they stay, if they stay out of it, then they can stay out of the next one. If they get involved in some fashion, they inevitably will be forced to comment on a whole range of issues, and refusal to do so uh, will engage the uh, woke warriors. They have to say, if it doesn't relate to my business, I'm not going to comment publicly. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. This is a political matter, and it's to be decided in political means. If you don't like a particular action, then take it to the voting booth. So he, he's, on not on, he's, saying, he's, saying, he's saying American Express should stay out of it, but Amazon, Google... 
we know BlackRock, Netflix have all gone in for the Democrats saying that Republicans are trying to restrict voting rights. J.P. Morgan, Coca-Cola, and uh, Delta have stayed out of this portion of it. Are you worried that Republicans are about to lose every major corporation? Uh, One of the things I think you're going to see is shareholders are going to start speaking up. If you've got half of your shareholders that are conservative and half are liberal, then you're going to be well served to stay out of these political arguments. The uh, MLB should play ball. PGA, play golf. NBA, play ball. NFL, play ball. Uh, Corporations should provide goods and services. Senator Marshall Blackburn, interesting time. Played his full. Thanks so much. You got it. All right. We talk a little about the court cases, what's happening over in Minneapolis with the Chauvin trial, as well as what's happening in Brooklyn Center. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I felt that Derek Chauvin was justified, was acting with objective reasonableness following Minneapolis Police Department policy and current standards of law enforcement and his interactions with Mr. Floyd. That is Barry Brood. He's a use of force expert, and he testified as the defense got underway this week. Prosecution rested. Alan Dershowitz has been following this trial extremely close, as usual. Professor uh, over at Harvard University, author of numerous best-selling books, including Guilt by Accusation, The Challenge of Proving Innocence in the Age of Hashtag Me Too. Professor, welcome back. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be on your wonderful show. Oh, thank you, uh, Professor. So first off, what kind of start, what do you think about this use of force expert yesterday? Some had problems with his credibility. Well, look, the effort is to try to create a reasonable doubt. I don't think they're going to succeed. I think the jury is going to conclude that at least there came a time, maybe six minutes, five minutes, seven minutes, into the knee on the neck when the use of force was excessive. I don't think anybody is going to believe on the jury that he shouldn't be fired, uh, that what he did was justified. This is an attempt to try to shake that up a little bit, but I think they're going to lose on that issue. Where they have a much better chance of winning is on two other issues. One, the causation issue. Did the knee on the neck alone cause the death, or was it a factor among other factors, including his very high blood pressure, his drug use, and his heart condition? And the other was, what is his intent? And the intent issue will be decided only if and when Chauvin himself takes the witness stand, which I think there's increasing pressure on him to do because the prosecution's case, which is now over, was fairly strong on the issue of causation. So I think he's going to have to take the stand on the issue of intent. Uh, And there's so many cameras. I mean, I thought to myself, uh, Professor, when I saw that nine-minute video to start this whole trial off, and I saw all those different angles, I thought to myself, where do you go here with the defense? You hear the people yelling, get off, he can't breathe. You hear him saying, you know, I'm hurt, and you just watch him slowly die in front of you. No, no, that video was so compelling. I think that the prosecution has overtried its case. When you see that video for the first time, you are appalled, shocked, and you want to convict Officer Chauvin. When you see it for the seventh or eighth time from different angles, 
it begins to become clinical and loses some of its emotional impact. And I think the prosecution went on twice as long as it should have. It should have put on a week-long case with far fewer experts and showing the film far fewer times and then leave it to the defense. But look, the presumption has now shifted away from a presumption of total innocence to a presumption of, gee, what he did was wrong. Now the question is, how wrong? Was it murder? I don't believe it was murder. I don't think the case for second-degree or third-degree murder has been made out. But was it manslaughter? Was there recklessness? That's the issue I think the jury is going to have to face. And Chauvin's testimony would be critical on that. But if he testifies, that opens the door to the prosecution putting on lots and lots of evidence against him, which they wouldn't be able to put on if he doesn't take the stand. So it's a hard question. You know, I used to have a friend who used to defend criminal cases. He would charge $100,000. And he would say, 5000 is for the trial. 95000 is for my expert judgment as to whether you should take the witness stand or not, because that's the most important issue in any criminal case. Uh, by the way, just a quick note, Bernie Madoff seems to have died in prison, uh, the Ponzi schemer. Oh, gee. Uh, yeah, life. Yeah. That just came across. Uh, defense attorney Eric Nelson presented jurors with body camera footage video of a 2019 George Floyd arrest between Floyd and police. And he goes on to say, in the encounter, Floyd was pulled from a car by police at gunpoint. When Floyd began speaking incoherently, police called paramedics, who found that his blood pressure was elevated. At the station, Floyd admitted to having taken pain pills and was taken to the hospital. What would be the advantage of bringing that up? Well, I think it really helped the defense. Um, it showed, first of all, that this is a guy who just was taking drug, 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 drug. Also showed he had incredibly high blood pressure. And nobody can really believe that elevated blood pressure of that kind with an enlarged heart didn't at least contribute to the death. And you had uh, Dr. Tobin, who testified unequivocally just arrogantly and unequivocally. No, nothing else contributed to the death. He could have been a healthy 20-year-old who never took a drug, never had a heart problem. He'd still be dead. No, you can't say that. You can't say that conclusively because an enlarged heart and high blood pressure requires more oxygen to come to the heart. So I think they're going to discredit Tobin's arrogant testimony. But in the end, I think the jury will conclude that the knee on the neck was a significant contributing factor, and that's enough to get over the hump for at least manslaughter. And then we'll see what happens with uh, murder. I would have thought the judge would have struck the second-degree murder. I don't think there's any evidence legally that justifies second-degree murder. This wasn't felony murder. This wasn't an independent felony that was being committed. It was part and parcel of the same assault that caused the death. And I don't think you can say that he intended to kill. Even the prosecution doesn't argue that. So there are complicated legal issues in the case. But the case is complicated even more by the killing, you know, a few miles away uh, with the taser mistaken and the gun. And, you know, the jury isn't sequestered. And they're hearing all about this. They say they're not. But of course they are. And they're hearing about the demonstrations and the protests. And they know that if they were to come to a verdict of not guilty or a hung jury or manslaughter, there would be protests against them as well. So I think it was a big mistake to try the case in Minneapolis instead of in some rural area where people didn't have to worry about their property, their children, their schools, their businesses, if there was a verdict other than murder. Right, murder, and if it's not murder, too. So could you throw yeah. out murder, too? I would rule out murder, too. I think if he is convicted of murder, too, that would be reversed on appeal. And it could impact the entire trial. 
So I think a, a, a wise judge would throw out the murder, too. But I'm not sure the defense made that motion yet. Maybe they're waiting till the end of the whole case to make it. But they should make that motion to rule out murder, too. Here's what Benjamin Crump said. If Chauvin takes the stand, cut 10. We will always defer in a criminal matter never to let your client take the stand. But normally, if your client takes the stand, it is a desperate, desperate effort to try to uh, make sure that he is somehow exonerated. So that's the only way and the only reason I would see him taking the stand that they feel desperate. Would you agree? Well, that's probably true. Yeah. But of course, you know, Crump is a cheerleader. It's much like CNN. If you watch the account of the trial on CNN, you're not watching a trial. You're watching a bunch of cheerleaders cheering for a verdict of conviction, interpreting every bit of evidence favorably to the prosecution or against the defense. And it's typical CNN. CNN doesn't report the news. It has cheerleaders on supporting its point of view on every issue. And so if you watch CNN, you're going to think this is an open and shut case. If you watch Court TV or other channels or Fox, you're going to get a sense, no, this is a more compelling and complex case that isn't so obvious. So true. Uh, so let's talk about the case you alluded to, and that is uh, this this case of uh, Dante Wright. So he yeah. uh, evidently had a warrant out for his arrest. He got pulled over for a, of, of some type of tag issue, uh, a license issue. But it turns out he had a warrant out for his arrest for attempted aggravated robbery charges after choking and holding a woman at gunpoint for $820. It happened a year ago. At which time they realize this, they go to cuff him, and he decides he's going to make a run for it. A woman walks up. We now know uh, who it is. Uh, her name is uh, Potter, and she ends up Kim Potter. She ends up resigning. 26 years in the force, a sterling record, once president of the union, and instead of using a gun, she uses a taser. At which time the city manager said this about her status. And in response to the question about termination, uh, all employees working for the city of Brooklyn Center uh, are entitled to due process with respect to discipline. Uh, this employee will receive due process. That got him fired by, by saying, I promise a police officer due process. Are you as a, a, a man well, of the law, are you astounded by this? Of course. Uh, it's cancel culture and it's horrible. Uh, today, due process is a dirty word for the left. Why do we need due process? We know who's guilty. Why do we need free speech? We know what the truth is. The idea that you get fired for seeking due process, the idea that you get fired from Georgetown University for having a conversation about grades, the idea that you get fired from Slate magazine for having a conversation, whether the use of the N-word is ever proper in academic setting. Today, we're seeing such incredible restrictions on freedom of speech and due process. It really marks the end of our Constitution. And what I worry about with court packing, and nobody's focused on this, if you get court packing, whether it be the Supreme Court or the lower courts, Biden may pack the court with so-called progressives who don't care about due process and don't care about free speech. So it will be a lose-lose institutionally for the Supreme Court, but also institutionally for libertarians and people who care about free speech and due process. Because today the left is the enemy of free speech and due process, as evidenced by that, what happened in, in, in Minnesota. Firing somebody for calling for due process, just outrageous. That means you'd fire the people who wrote the Declaration of Independence, who wrote the Bill of Rights, who wrote the Constitution, who wrote the 14th Amendment. Uh, that's what, where due process comes from. Uh, and it's just, just unbelievable what people are doing today in the name of 
quote progressive result oriented outcomes it's it's the uh, it, it's a very dangerous to democracy uh, i would think so too in terms of the police officer uh, how do you, well, how much trouble is she? And they got to decide whether to charge. I can almost guarantee you they will. But Kim Potter, with this great record, she says it on camera. I shot him. Oh my God, I shot him. You heard her say tase. What kind of trouble is she, she in? Sh- she should never be prosecuted. This is not a crime. To have a crime, you need either intent or extreme recklessness. An honest mistake is not a crime. And if she is to be prosecuted, it would be purely. For political grounds, and I would certainly support her and her right not to be tried, her right not to be prosecuted. The idea that the police can't make mistakes, everybody makes mistakes all the time. This was a terrible mistake, but it was an honest mistake. You can see it watching the tape, how appalled she is at her mistake when she says, taser, 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 and this is, I shot him. Uh, That's not a crime. We have to distinguish between what is a crime and what is a mistake or a mistake of judgment. Maybe she should be suspended for a couple of weeks and made to go into a program where she trains between using the taser with the left hand and the gun with the right hand. All of that is okay. But the idea of firing her, making her resign, and criminally charging her, it's just not a crime. It's outrageous the way we're weaponizing the criminal justice system for partisan political ends. The crowds are determining who gets prosecuted instead of the law. We are supposed to be a nation under the rule of law, not the rule of crowds. And we're moving toward a situation where we are having our criminal justice system dictated by crowds on the street. And and true. And she has resigned. They're coming for a pension, it seems, and they're probably going to offer an indictment sometime today, uh, some charges sometime today. That's That's my impression. Lastly, this is more big picture, corporations versus Republicans, Amazon, Google, uh, GM, Starbucks, BlackRock, Netflix, uh, some of the companies that have come out against what they call restrictive voting policies put forth by Republican uh, legislators. Your thought about this new trend? Well, I think you have to read every one of the statutes and you have to ask yourself whether the purpose of the statute is to restrict voting based on race or partisan considerations, but the idea of condemning wholesale all efforts to change voting laws. Look, every time one party gets control of the legislature, the governorship, they try to give themselves advantages through gerrymandering, through reapportionment, through other kinds of tactics. So this sounds like an overreaction, but we have to look at every individual statute and see whether it imposes undue restrictions. It's interesting that liberals uh, say, no, 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 no voter ID. You can't do that. It's really unpro- un- impo- impossible and Im- improper. But you have to have an ID if you've been vaccinated. Yep. That's okay. Yep. Uh, but why not allow the vaccination ID to serve as a voter ID and, you know, make IDs available to everybody? Look, 25 years ago, nobody ever thought about IDs before 9-11. Who thought about IDs? Uh, but today, to walk into any building, you need an ID to walk into a college to get it on an airplane. So I don't see the big deal about requiring IDs if you make them easily available and you have alternative ways of getting IDs. It doesn't have to be a driver's license. It can be yeah. something else. Then I think the idea of these kinds of protests are overblown. But I think we do have to make sure there are no restrictions on voting based on race. That would be that would be unacceptable. That would be unacceptable for everybody listening and everybody in this country. Uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz, thanks so much. 
My pleasure. Thank you. You got it. Uh, Professor Dershowitz joining us, putting a, I put him through the paces. It was four cases. How much would that normally have cost me, you think? I don't know if you could have afforded it. I could it. not have afforded <laughs> that type of legal advice. Hey, when we come back, your turn. one 408 Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Dr. Murthy, something keeps popping up on your screen. We want the viewers to know. We see it, too. We don't know what the hell it is. Everything is safe. Everything is good. But there's something that looks like a dog or something popping up around you. But all is good. I'll I'll show you. It's it's my little boy. Oh, Oh, I'm so sorry. Well, at at least we can explain. Thank you. Thank you. So what was what was happening, Allison? This was during when I was doing Fox and Friends, right? What was happening? Correct. So uh, the Surgeon General was on CBS this morning, and I guess he had you know like the, the fake you know green screen behind him. So when you move, you can tell, right? It's not real. So I guess his little boy was around in the background. So you just get these flashes of something. To which Gail said, you know, she's like, we don't know what's going on. If it's your dog or what? And he's like, oh no, it's it's my son. And he picked up his son on his lap. It was cute. Right, He's that's a four-year-old. Cool. Right. I mean, there should be a whole montage of everything that's happened as people work from home, from the background shots to the worst background shot, the most interesting background shot, uh, to the family getting involved. I mean, well, one of the times when I was doing the show in Florida, uh, my dogs, who are huge, I have to hold his head down because he would see me sitting on the chair and do what he always does, walk right up to me. No way. So I'd be holding his head down. So he wouldn't pop up on camera, and you you know you only see in my chest anyway. Yeah. So that's uh, funny. Yeah, I mean it, you got probably well because he walks through. He just they uh, walk through doors with their head. That's They're huge. They, yeah. You said they can open up doors too with their paws. Yeah, my deaf dog Apollo uh, can walk up at any door. We figure he goes in the bathroom too. Oh, uh, so he goes boom, uh, goes down with his with hammers it. He also opens up the slider with his teeth. He's impressive. Right, he's impressive. He's the one who can't hear. Yeah. I will uh, say a quick, though, to go back to the Surgeon General. You see him, though. He's answering everything, like, without, you know, missing a beat, you know, on Johnson & Johnson, all serious issues. But you sort of see him, like, pushing something away the whole time. <laughs> but he didn't miss a beat. He didn't. How much time do I have left? I got one minute. So I want to play a little of General Jack Keane on Afghanistan. Cut 19. I fundamentally disagreed with President Trump in uh, announcing a one-may withdrawal, although he did have in mind that there would be certain conditions before the United States would withdraw, and that would be, uh, hopefully, we would have a peace agreement negotiated between the Afghan government and the Taliban, and also a ceasefire. We don't have any of that. We have stalemated negotiations. Um, uh, Secondly, the Taliban has increased the level of violence uh, in the country itself. So the Taliban sees uh, that there's political weakness here in the United States in terms and, of... The... And not only that, there are no peace talks. They said they're not going to even adhere to the invitation to meet. We did not tell NATO ahead of time. And we're going to pull out on 9-11 and begin pulling out in May. Who wants to be the last one out of Afghanistan? You know how dangerous it's going to be to gradually pull out of a hostile country full of terrorists? 
Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, heard around the country. We hope heard around the world, making a huge impact. Thanks to all the affiliates joining this fund. Uh, We're going to be uh, following the latest things coming from Capitol Hill. We know the president met with the members of the Congressional Black Caucus yesterday. He was measured on his tone about what happened in Minneapolis, Brooklyn Center, to be specifically. To be specific, he was measured, unlike Barack Obama, who was uh, quick to lash out. And talk about reimagining the police. Speaker Boehner will be on us on our show at the bottom of the hour. Read almost his entire book. Almost just got to get the last 10 pages. I'll probably be able to do that in the break. It's called On the House, a Washington memoir. And then yesterday, the huge news. There's a big pause on Johnson & Johnson as a vaccine. Uh, Man, as many are online to get it. Dr. Marty McCarty weighs in on what really happened behind the scenes, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You remember where you were at on September 11th, 2001. Our military told President Biden that if you withdraw all of our forces, al-Qaeda and ISIS will come roaring back. He rejected that advice. Afghanistan is going to deteriorate pretty rapidly. He's paving the way for another 9-11. Huge mistake. President Biden says we're leaving Afghanistan, tells us the day, and says it's not conditions-based. 20 years, we just hand the country back to the Taliban. Is that in our best interest? I say no. Number two. All 50 states have agreed to stop using Johnson & Johnson's COVID vaccine for now. More than 7.2 million Americans have received the one-dose shot, and at least six of them have developed serious blood clots. The CDC and the FDA say the condition appears to be extremely rare. Right, so why are we doing it? I I don't know. I don't have the answer to that question. The FDA stuns the world by pausing the J&J vaccine. Is this really six or seven cases out of seven million cases? Will the single shot come back online soon? And why Michigan Republicans rebuked the CDC who told them to lock down? I don't blame them. Number one. She did not have to even tase this young man. It was a misdemeanor warrant. They always seem to do the most engaging, the most excessive use of force when it's a marginalized minority. When it's black people, they seem to engage in the most excessive force. Well, it was a mistake, and Benjamin Krupp added again. Arrests made, resignations submitted, and irresponsible statements from prominent officials dominate in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. After the shooting death of Dante Wright, we're going to get the facts and widespread violence that followed. We'll bring it all to you. But right now, let's welcome in from Johns Hopkins School of Public Health, Dr. Marty McCarry, Fox News contributor and surgeon and a professor of health policy there. Uh, Dr. McCarry, always great to have you on. Were you shocked by that news, or did you sense something was up with the J&J vaccine? Yeah, good morning, Brian. Yeah, I was shocked. I mean, I was blown away. Brian, we won't have penicillin if they use this criteria. We won't have any antibiotics. We won't have Tylenol. I mean, whatever happened to letting doctors and patients make their decisions based on the risk out there, I I think it was reasonable to pause the use, but do it in the small subgroup of people who developed the complication where those six complications developed. How about letting the rest of the country decide whether or not they want to accept a one in seven million risk? 
which, you know, in a health emergency, when we're supply constrained, maybe a risk some people would like to take. I would think so. Uh, but, you know, I just my question whether I know everything. Uh, for example, I watched the press conference, I read the reports, and I see the quote from the FDA. They say, right now, there are adverse events appear to be extremely rare. CDC will convene a meeting at the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices on Wednesday, that's today, on further review of these cases and assess their potential significance. I worry about the long-term effects. For example, if you say to me, okay, good news, no big deal, those people who are on the bubble, Dr. McCarry, are going to go, you could keep your vaccine. I'm going to take my chances on my own. (laughs) I feel like I'm in the car with someone driving 100 miles an hour and then slams the brakes on and almost kills us from they think they saw something. Look, the, the one person who died, that's a real complication. It looks to be associated. And we generally think that the adenovirus vector vaccines, that is the Oxford one that's not in the U.S. yet, but it's been in Europe, and this J&J one, they're different from the mRNA, Pfizer, Moderna vaccines. And it's, it's recognized they're going to cause inflammation that could lead to a clot in a rare instance. So it's not that surprising. But the way that they're shifting around and we're getting whiplash, it's they're trying to help with vaccine hesitancy by running ads at NASCAR, you know, trying to reach Republicans. I mean, they're doing that. You know, Jen Psaki's talking about doing that. And then we get this kind of, oh, we're going to shut the entire thing down. I mean, what are people supposed to believe? Right. I I want you to hear. So this is uh, shedding more light on this. This uh, this doctor was on uh, CBS this morning, Dr. Vivek Murthy. Let's listen. Cut 13. What's different about these blood clots is they're not the average run-of-the-mill blood clot that we hear about all the time. These are an unusual type of clot that occurs when your levels of platelets or cells that help with clotting in the blood are actually low as well. And in that situation, you don't treat with the usual blood dinners, uh, like heparin, for example, that you typically give in the hospital. That requires actually a very different treatment. And uh, and in fact, if you give the conventional treatment, you can worsen the situation. So this is why we wanted to have a chance to communicate openly with people. Mm -hmm. But remember this, these pauses are actually common when new vaccines and drugs are rolled out. So this is not unusual. So that's a Surgeon General, I should say. So did you learn anything from that? No, I mean, we've known that this is a, a different type of blood clot. This is one in seven million people, Dr. Murthy. That's the only thing. He's a good guy. I know him. But when you're talking about something that rare and you perseverate, I I don't get it. I mean, I know doctors that don't prescribe insulin properly. I'm not going to put a hold on insulin in the United States until they, you know, are properly schooled on how to use it. It's just disproportionate. And I think it shows a broader problem, Brian, of how the FDA is disconnected from what's happening on the ground in the world. You know, know, it's a different story. When you're rationing a life-saving vaccine, you don't do things like this to to every, you don't tell everybody not to take it. You tell people, women of childbearing age, to to not take it. How about AstraZeneca? How is this different from AstraZeneca, where some countries just, I'm not bringing it back, some did. Where are we at with that? Yeah, so again, that that does cause blood clots, and there have been rare um, deaths from it, and we've seen that in Europe. Now, we're learning now why the U.S. never approved the Oxford-AstraZeneca one, because remember, they stopped that whole trial because one person had a complication in the U.K. They stopped that whole trial in the middle of the pandemic, and it's like, okay, you know what? 2,000 Americans were dying a day, and you're stopping a life-saving vaccine to investigate one 
adverse event. It's just disconnected. And you know what? The UK approved it in December. We still haven't. And the UK is at herd immunity. They've got 64% of their adult population vaccinated. And their deaths now are around a dozen, uh, coming down from you know, 12, 1,400 a day. They're, they basically won. They have a smarter FDA over there than we do. Dr. McCarr, yeah, I, they certainly say they were quick to uh, okay it too. Uh, Dr. McCarr, let me, let me ask some. I, I understand, the, too, the way it works. So if something happens to me, my, and, and I take AstraZeneca, for example, and something happens to me, my family could sue. But not in this case. Didn't the government absorb liability on all these? They did, although um, there's a there's a separate legal system within our judiciary. Not many people know about it. It's like a vaccine court. It's a dedicated court system. So liability has stopped manufacturers from making vaccines in the past. It's a terrible byproduct of our litigious society. This that was carved out, which is why we saw tremendous scientific progress. And I don't think many people saw, but this morning. Moderna said, hey, we're coming out with a, with a vaccine using mRNA for HIV and for CMV and other herpes viruses. I mean, that is going to be a major step forward. And it's not a scientific feat. It's a feat in overcoming litigious America. So interesting. Uh, so something else uh, struck me. And I saw this when, when President Trump was president, and I'm seeing it now with uh, President Biden. You have the CDC of the scientists make statements, and they walk it back the next day. And now we see the CDC came out last week and said, if you have been vaccinated, you cannot transfer the virus. So therefore, you don't need to wear a mask. They have walked that back. What changed? Uh, maybe they had a bad day. Maybe they talked to somebody who, you know, had a positive test after vaccination. You know, one of the one in 50,000 people who may have a positive asymptomatic test after. I don't know. I mean, the, the kind of back and forth whiplash again, it, it's hurting credibility. And people are wondering why we're seeing the deaths and hospitalizations plummet as cases persist. The reason is because young people are getting the infection now. They're low risk. They're getting it. And they have probably have no more, um, they don't have, they don't give much credibility to the medical establishment anymore. The medical establishment has probably lost all credibility. CDC lost a lot of credibility with young people. That's why we saw a lot, a lot of people get infected in the last few weeks among teenagers and, and those in their 20s. Are you pro getting vaccinated from 16 up, 14 up, 12 up? Where do you stand? Yeah, I think um, a 12 and 14 year old is physiologically similar to a, a, an adult. So as long as the virus is circulating, I, I think that's a good idea, assuming that trial is going to get approved by the FDA. Now, I, we don't have to guess what things are going to look like in a month or two from now. All we have to do you know, block out all the TV doctors you see on all these, you know, CNN and other, and look at what's happening in Israel and the UK. Once you hit 50% of the adult population vaccinated, and then there's about a two to two and a half week period for that, all that vaccination immunity to kick in your body. You see numbers plummet, not just among adults, but among unvaccinated kids. And the reason is there's a conferred immunity. So that's what's happening in Israel. That will happen here. If we don't have a lot of circulating virus, I don't know what we're trying to protect kids from at that point. Absolutely. And I thought I'd bring you into this a little bit. Uh, you know, the, the cases are surging in the upper Midwest, especially Michigan. So the CDC director said, I recommend you shut it down in Michigan. 
the Republican members of the congressional delegation spoke out and said they will not be doing that. Who's right? Well, the people right are the many doctors in the United States that have said, don't close things down, send more vaccines there when you saw the outbreak four weeks ago. I mean, we saw this coming. And instead of saying, hey, we got to swing vaccine capacity to Michigan because they've got an outbreak among young people. And instead of saying, hey, we got to focus on first doses, which is the winning strategy that got UK to herd immunity, you had comments of impending doom. Okay, that that was our response from our CDC. And, you know, deep inside, I bet you, Rochelle Walensky, head of the CDC, thinks we should be swinging vaccine there and thinks we should be focusing on first doses. I, I believe deep in my heart she agrees with the many doctors now saying that, but she's only reading speeches that the White House approves. So she really can't upset her bosses, you know, lest we might save more lives. Huh. Unbelievable. Uh, I want you to hear Dr. Fauci uh, this weekend. Eating and drinking indoors in restaurants and bars, is that okay now? No, it's still not okay for the simple reason that the level of infection, the dynamics of infection in the community are still really disturbingly high. And if you are vaccinated, please remember that you still have to be careful and not get involved in crowded situations particularly indoors where people are not wearing masks. What's with him? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know, Brian, but if he, he doesn't start smiling or being positive, I think people are going to write him off really quickly because right now we've, we're on the brink of some really good stuff happening in late April and May. Depends on the part of the country you live in. And I can tell you as a doctor taking care of transplant patients that are immunosuppressed, if you just scold them and tell them what they can't do all the time, they're going to be totally defiant and you're going to lose all uh, uh, and you're going to lose your connection with them. You're going to have no credibility. Instead, you've got to be in step with what people are going to do. You've got to listen to them. You've got to instead of telling them what not to do, understand what they're going to do anyway and tell them how to do that safely. We're eating indoors. We have been eating indoors. You know, there's 15 states without even mass mandates. And now he says, well, I don't want you eating indoors. Come on. It's been over a year. We get it. Oh, unbelievable. If uh, you've been vaccinated, live your life. Okay, thank you. Give it four weeks for the vaccine to kick in and live your life, please. Right. Well, willing to take a risk. Uh, explain it to us. Dr. Marty McCarry, thanks so much. Good to see you, Brian. All right. Uh, we come back. Your turn. one 408 Then I talked to Speaker John Boehner. Uh, he's got a great book out. Uh, I found it very interesting, but I also had some problems with it, and we'll discuss all of that. Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The NFL doesn't have that exception. The NBA doesn't have that exception. Somehow those sports leagues manage to do just fine. But baseball gets this very special carve of corporate welfare from Washington. They don't have to play by the same rules everybody else does. And if they're going to play partisan enforcer, they shouldn't expect to see special goodies from Washington when they are dishonestly acting 
to favor one party against the other and doing so in a way that is hurting thousands of small businesses in the city of Atlanta. Senator Ted Cruz will join Senator Mike Lee, Senator Josh Hawley in trying to set the anti-trust exemption from baseball because they seem to have picked sides, Democratic sides, picking up and moving the All-Star game over to Colorado. Ryan's in Pearl River, New York. Hey, Ryan. All right, Brian, in America, the last time conservatives got together, they, they threw Jane Fonda off the wheeze box. Conservatives never get together, and they don't boycott anything. If you boycott, that's how you win. The left does it. They've been doing it for years to us, and they have no trouble embarrassing anybody. And as far as antitrust, forget about it. They're not taking away. Every several years, you hear somebody rattle a, a, a cage. They're going to take the antitrust laws away from the base, basically baseball. Ain't ever going to happen. Those guys get all the nice seats during the World Series. Don't let them kid you. Now, as far as the vaccine is concerned, keep in mind, folks, a lot of good things will come out of this vaccine when it comes to development, research, and everything. New treatments will come out for other diseases, too, out of this, too. Let's keep that in mind. We know the country last year when it went through a shock, right? We were shocked to heck last March, and we're basically coming out of it now. The country's coming out. A lot of people are not frightened, but some people are very frightened. They don't want to be in crowds. They don't want to be anywhere. But we have to let our technology kick in, and we have to realize, too, and give the people a, a same. There is no long-term research on this because it's brand new, this vaccine. We have to see what happens. Let's really hope for the best, but also let's face the facts. China is responsible for this uh, disease and vi- virus coming here. Their feet have to be held to the fire. Absolutely. And they have to be sued. They have to be sued. By everybody. The families that lost people. Right, exactly. And the people who lost people because of this disease and this vaccine should be compensated. That is what should be take place. When conservatives gotcha. represent middle of America, they'll get middle America's vote. Right, I hear your passion. I like the optimism. Frank, WTRW uh, in Pennsylvania. Frank. Hey, Brian, how you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, uh, listen, so I just got to say, I love you on the radio, love you on TV, but I'll get to the point. Uh, I, I don't really understand why the battle cry is get rid of cops. It, I don't understand why community leaders of whoever, black and brown folks or whatever the case may be, why aren't they telling their constituents don't resist arrest as a means by not to get shot? Because think about it. We see nine minutes or seven minutes of Floyd uh, resisting arrest. We don't see, uh, I'm sorry, we, we don't see the 22 minutes of a resisting arrest. I hear you. We talked to a lot of cops over the last few days. Uh, they're not the problem. You'd always modify training. Let's do it. But to defund them, you're slitting your own throat. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I now pass this gavel and the sacred trust that goes with it to the new speaker. God bless you, Speaker. We gather here today at a time of great challenge. Hard work and tough decisions will be required of the 112th Congress. No longer can we fall short. No longer can we kick the can down the road. The people voted to end business as usual. And today, we begin to carry out their instructions. 
But what happened from there makes a great book uh, on the house, a Washington memoir. A look back and, and a look forward uh, from that moment of uh, the life of John Boehner. Uh, it is now raging up and just permanently camped around the top spot on Amazon. It's surely going to break out probably number one in the New York Times list. Uh, John Boehner, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian, it's good to be with you, and it's been a while since I've been on your radio show. I know. It's been too long. Uh, we did get a chance to speak on television yesterday as your book debuted. First off, uh, on that moment, can you reflect on that moment again? Do you remember everything about it? Which moment are we talking about? When I bumped in, and I bumped in with you accepting the gavel from Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House. Yeah. Oh, yes. I remember it uh, very vividly. It was, uh, it was a great day. Um, and, I, and I was doing my best to not to be my cheery-eyed self, and I was holding it together real well, and I looked uh, to my left uh, on the Republican side of the aisle, and I saw my three best buddies, Tom Latham from Iowa, and Richard Burr from North Carolina, and Saxby Chambles from Georgia, both of them in the Senate, and uh, that was it. Tears started. Before I get to the news of the day, I, I, everyone keeps talking about the news of the day and the and the this more sensational part of your book. I want to go through what brought you there. And first off, growing up, how did growing up in a big family uh, affect who you became? Because it's easy, I imagine. I grew up with three, but you grew up with how many brothers and sisters? Uh, Twelve of us. Did, so how did you? How did you? Did you sense early on to stand out? You had to do something special. No, not at all. I, I was just a regular kid, uh, a second oldest of this uh, clan of twelve, and uh, uh, you know I was just uh, I was just one of them. Probably learned more growing up in my dad's bar, but you know, growing up in a big family, you have to learn to get along with each other, get things done together as a family. Uh, growing up in my dad's bar, I learned two critical lessons. Uh, one is the art of being able to disagree without being disagreeable. Right. Uh, because that drunk at the end of the bar was going to be sitting there all night. He didn't want to fight with him. And the other uh, lesson I learned was you had to deal with every jackass that walked in the door. Uh, trust me, those two lessons probably did more to help me as speaker than anything else. It sounded interesting, too, because uh, my dad and my grandfather owned uh, a bar. And we did every time there was a turnover, every time there was a big event, we would always be in there. And whether it had the little evil Knievel guy that would jump over the piles of rubble or beer cans, uh, you always try to blend in. And the age was 18 back then. So you really, he had a younger crowd, and it was, uh, it was a fascinating time. You get some real personalities behind the bar and in front of the bar. And those end up being oh, yeah. friends for your life, right? Oh, yeah. You know, I started going to my dad's bar when I was about, oh, I don't know, eight or nine years old. Every Saturday morning, I went down to the bar to mop floors, do dishes, uh, uh, cook. Uh, wash dishes, uh, clean out the garbage cans, uh, wash the windows, uh, all for $2 a day. Not $2 an hour, but $2 for the day. It was a real lesson. Right, and when your older brother went to the military, I think you felt like so you had to take control. When your parents used to go in front of the television and relax at the end of the day, you would be the one saying, clean this up, clean that up, and always a sense of command. You also say the reason why you never got overwhelmed by the chaos on the floor is because you grew up with a lot of noise in your house, <laughs> in your family. But it was uh, the first local job that you got uh, in politics was what? I was a township trustee in, in Westchester, Ohio. Uh, I was president of our homeowners association. Uh, I was in the packaging and plastics business, owned a sales and marketing company. And uh, and got involved in our homeowners association, and I became president in 1980, and suggested to him that 
that we as a homeowners association ought to take a more active community, active role in our community instead of just our own neighborhood. And the board looked around and said, that's a great idea. Go ahead. <laughs> and then one thing led to another. Next thing you know, I'm running for township trustee. I never thought I'd run for any public office in my life. Uh, but, uh, you know, I got in this race, and if I was going to be in the race, I certainly wasn't going to lose. And I knocked on every door in our township, every single door. Uh, lost uh, about 10 or 15 pounds in the process, uh, but it was uh, it was a real great experience. And then I went on to serve in the state house and to serve 25 years in the Congress. Pretty amazing, too. You mentioned you were a heavy kid early on, uh, or when you were younger, and part smoking helped get the weight off, too, right? <laughs> yeah, I was 273 pounds at one point. Uh, I was about 20 years old, and, uh, and I decided, all right, uh, I was an ex-jock. I, I was eating like I was a jock. Uh, but I wasn't doing all the uh, the working out that I used to do. And uh, so anyway, I decided I was going to eat three reasonable meals a day. And uh, in between meals, I thought I was hungry. I'd have a cigarette. And uh, anyway, it uh, I, I gave up one bad habit for another. Right. So you got in shape. You also mentioned, I just want to touch on this, uh, because I did a book, The Games Do Can. I talked about all the successful people who don't become pros but played sports. And without sports, they don't become who they were. And I actually did Denny Hastert as a wrestling coach. You mentioned him. Sadly, he was disgraced. But you mentioned Jerry Faust, a very well-known coach, a Moeller legend, high school legend, maybe the best high school coach ever. And he went on to Notre Dame where he got uh, national notoriety, didn't have that success. But even though John Boehner wasn't the ne- next incursion of Herschel Walker, he made a huge uh, impression on your life. And he continued even after you played. Can you tell us the last time you spoke to him, and what he meant to you early on? Well, Coach Faust uh, was uh, like a lot of coaches I had. I played every team sport there was growing up. And uh, when I got to Muller High School, uh, Faust Faust understood that uh, while he wanted to win football games, uh, he also knew he had a responsibility to – uh, to take these young men who were playing for him and turn them into men. And uh, and so uh, it wasn't just about football. I mean, he was on us all day, every day, uh, about everything it took uh, to take a young man and turn him into a man, a man of Mueller. So it made a, it made a, a huge impression, and that's why you're a fighter. You don't get your feelings hurt easy. If you're a football coach, if you're a football player that's been yelled at a lot, it's really going to be hard to rattle you because of an article or because uh, somebody on the other side of the aisle. So as you move forward in your career, you make a dent, and you make it clear you want to be among leadership. And one of the first things you did is realize they got this congressional bank. You want to have direct deposit, but you want to use your bank. They say, no, no, that's not the way it works, Congressman. We have a bank here in Congress. And then you suddenly realize this is a little bit of a problem going on here, and I don't care if my colleagues like me or not. I'm going to unearth it. Well, you know, I wasn't some great big sleuth. I didn't want an accountant at the House Bank. I didn't know about any problems in the House Bank, but they told me I couldn't get paid if I didn't have an accountant at the House Bank. And so anyway, I had an accountant at the House Bank. And, uh, you know, about nine months later, I was reading USA Today, you know, it was in the lower left-hand column of page six or something uh, about the General Accounting Office doing their annual audit of the House Bank, and they found out that in uh, 1990 there were 8,226 bounced checks. And I thought to myself, what the hell is that all about? And so I began to ask a few of the senior members about this, 
and I suddenly see people's faces turning white. Well, you know, I can smell I can smell BS a mile away, and so I got a group of my fellow freshmen uh, Republicans, and uh, you know, we demanded some answers. And uh, to make a long story short, uh, uh, they didn't want to have to deal with this. They've been around for 168 years. Uh, but uh, after four days of uh, uh, seven freshman Republicans doing radio, TV, uh, doing the print journalist, uh, they closed the House Bank. And, uh, uh, and we were not very popular people, I can tell you that. But it would let people know that you're going to be a force. And to, to not go over the whole book now, because on the House, we're talking to Speaker Boehner, uh, it talks about how you got there, because a lot of people didn't know how you got there, including me. Hemmer probably did, because he knew you from Ohio. Uh, but I want to go to a moment uh, that really changed. And you end up emerging with this guy named Newt Gingrich. And do you remember this moment? With faith and with friendship and the deepest respect, you are now my speaker. And let the great debate begin. I now have the high honor and distinct privilege to present to the House of Representatives our new speaker, the gentleman from Georgia, Newt Gingrich. Where were you? And when did you realize this brilliant guy who's your friend probably was not going to be lasting long on the top spot? Well, just before that moment when uh, Dick Eppert gave uh, the gavel to uh, to Newt Gingrich, uh, I had actually, uh, on behalf of the Republican members, had nominated uh, Newt uh, to be uh, our candidate for speaker. It was, uh, it was one of the high moments of uh, my early parts of my career. Uh, but my relationship with Gingrich went back to uh, right after I was elected. And I was a member of the Conservative Opportunity Society. I worked closely with Gingrich and others uh, to advance uh, conservative principles. And uh, somewhere, I guess it was probably around 1993 or so, I went to Newt and said, listen, I think uh, you got a real shot at being speaker. Uh, how about if I put some people together that you can meet with every so often? And I kind of go over the things you need to do to be speaker. And, um, and it turned out to be uh, about five of us that uh, would meet with Newt from time to time uh, and, uh, and give him a little advice. And, uh, and so I was really proud of, uh, of Newt. Uh, he was a wonderful man. You know, we, we all have assets. We all have liabilities. Uh, while Newt was brilliant, uh, sometimes working with him was like working next to a tornado. You never knew what was going to fly out of Newt and hit you upside the head. Uh, but uh, it was a great experience. You told him, get better ties. Hey, Newt, you got to smile at people when you see them. They're looking at you in the eye. You're looking straight ahead. you got to start working. <laughs> and he's the one who called you up and said, John, when it looked like things were going south and he couldn't hold on to position, what do you think I should do? You go, I think you got to leave. And he called yeah, you up again. He goes, I think you got to leave. It was just no, time. I, I said, I, no, I said to Newt, I said, Newt, that was right after the 1998 election. I said, Newt, I just think that you've led the team as far as you can lead it. I just don't think you're going to have the votes in January to get elected speaker. And, uh, you know, after two days of this, uh, uh, he made, I think, the right decision and, uh, and moved on. So, um, speaker Boehner, you, you wanted to, so you become a speaker. But one thing you did say about that time, you wish you did not go ahead with the impeachment of Bill Clinton. Yeah, I think looking back, uh, we all learned a lesson that, uh, uh, while I think he, he perjured himself, uh, I think he violated the law. I think it was an impeachable offense. 
but the American people didn't support uh, impeachment. And, uh, and I think we all learned a lesson. At the end of the day, it's the people who rule the Congress uh, and not the Congress ruling the people. Absolutely. So that goes forward. Now, how does that relate to today with Nancy Pelosi? You say on some level, unless I'm misinterpreting the book, that you don't think she should have pursued the impeachment and she knew it on Donald Trump when it came to the Iranian phone call. Uh, that is correct. I, uh, I, she, she tried to keep them from going there. If you go back and look at uh, uh, early 2017, mid 2017, uh, she tried to hold this up because she knew. Uh, impeachment uh, was was certainly not popular, and uh, but at the end of the day, a uh, lesson that uh, all leaders learn is that a leader without followers is simply a man taking a walk, and in this case, a woman taking a walk, and so uh, her members uh, were running in a different direction, and she had no choice but to jump out in front of them, and uh, and allow uh, the impeachment to, to go ahead. And it did. And next thing you know, looking back now, when you analyze the whole Russia mess that took place over two and a half years that marred uh, President Trump's administration, where did that come from? Was that intentionally come up with to make sure he wasn't successful? You say there's no swamp, but isn't that proof there is one? Well, I don't believe in the swamp or the the deep state, but I have to tell you that uh, what we've learned out of the Justice Department and the FBI is just – it really is beyond uh, beyond my imagination uh, that we could have people uh, in uh, those positions of uh, trust uh, act the way they acted. And, I, and I'm hopeful that we'll get to the bottom of this with this Durham investigation uh, because uh, it, it's critically important for the future of our country to have people – for people to have trust in the institutions of our government. Do you also believe that Donald Trump is probably the only one you know that could have withstand that type of blizzard of information and attacks and investigation and stress? Oh, yeah. No question. He he, he could put up with it. He did. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that uh, uh, the President Trump did that I was very proud of. And uh, certainly his policies that he put in place were good. And, uh, and his ability to withstand this withering assault, and not just from the Justice Department, the FBI, uh, but the left-wing media uh, were, were, frankly, even worse. Here's a little of one of the moments that will stand out, for, obviously, for me, for you, and for the country. Cut 31. Americans uh, rightly uh, feel uh, uneasy about the economic conditions uh, here at home, worried about their own economic security, and uh, probably wondering uh, about uh, uh, their tax dollars being put at risk. I think all of us realize that a collapse in our financial markets would be felt by families, seniors, and small businesses around our country. Uh, their paychecks would shrink. This would lead. Uh, this would lead to you deciding, along with Democrats and led by the President George W. Bush, a man you still call your friend, uh, to come up with TARP that was entirely paid back. But the bitterness you felt towards your own Republicans because they pushed back and said we should not be bailing out the banks. Is that a moment that you think about a lot? Back in 2008? Well, I don't think about it a lot, but I trust me, I never had one doubt that I was doing the right thing for the country and still don't. Uh, we were very close to uh, every credit card being shut down, every ATM being shut down, uh, Americans being locked out of their jobs and locked, uh, locked out of their money as well. I mean, it, 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 was, uh, it, was a, it was a very uh, tense and tragic moment. 
And uh, uh, and when my Republican colleagues wouldn't come along and, and help uh, and help pass TARP, I was I was very disappointed. And you were angry, uh, John Boehner. We're just scratching the surface on your great book on the House, a Washington memoir. Appreciate it. Congratulations on it. We've got to have you back and finish up this story. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A couple of breaking news items. First off, on the Derek Chauvin trial, this show we've been uh, talking uh, to Ar- uh, Alan Dershowitz about it. Uh, it turns out George Floyd, a key witness for the defense, is requested not to testify. Not good news. Also, the vice president of the United States who has thumbed her nose at the president and America after she was assigned the border and the illegal immigration streaming in our southern border, uh, just made one phone call in 22 days since she got the assignment, and that was to Mexico, and that's it, has now said she will travel to Guatemala and Mexico amid criticism over the border crisis. Finally, she's decided to do her job. Some speculate she was given a grenade when she got the assignment, not if you're a leader and want to be president. You welcome these big challenges. You say, bring them on because I can handle anything. You don't say, a little bit too much, there's too much chance for failure. Is anyone successful by doing that? Never. And when a president asks a vice president to do something, you do it. Mike Pence, Al Gore, uh, Dick Cheney, perfect examples. I've never seen anything like it. Let's see if she can pull this one out of the fire. I doubt it. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. we got a big hour coming your way. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West is queued up and Martha McCallum right after that. We're also following the news that at some point, as the Secretary of Defense briefs our NATO allies, the President of the United States is going to be making it official with a date certain, 9-11-2021, just months from now, five months from now, we're going to be all out of Afghanistan. Good luck with that. We won so well in Iraq. Remember that big announcement President Obama made? Fantastic. Out of Iraq. We're done. Last tank's done. Let's leave some Humvees behind. What could go wrong? How about a new group emerges called ISIS, threatening to take Baghdad, and we got to quickly get 10, 15,000 troops back in there and get special operations out hunting in Syria to kill ISIS before they beheaded all the Americans they had. And sadly, we didn't get to them in time in many cases. But that's going to be his announcement. It's similar. Donald Trump wanted him out May 1st. So I'm telling you, it would have been a problem. And I'm saying that we don't have to fight every day, but our presence there kept America safe here. I believe that. I cannot wait to talk to Alan West about that. But first, our big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You remember where you're at on September 11th, 2001. Our military told President Biden that if you withdraw all of our forces, Al-Qaeda and ISIS will come roaring back. He rejected that advice. Afghanistan is going to deteriorate pretty rapidly. He's paving the way for another 9-11. 
Uh, that is Senator Lindsey Graham. Listen, I know there's a lot of Republicans who say forget the endless war. This is called an endless presence to make sure there's no towers falling here at home. I'll explain. Number two. All 50 states have agreed to stop using Johnson & Johnson's COVID vaccine for now. More than 7.2 million Americans have received the one-dose shot, and at least six of them have developed serious blood clots. The CDC and the FDA say the condition appears to be extremely rare. Yeah, what's going on? FDA stuns the world by pausing the J&J single shot. Is this really six or seven cases out of seven million? Will the single shot come back online soon, like today? And why Michigan told the CDC, Republicans anyway, we will not shut down. Number one. She did not have to even tase this young man. It was a misdemeanor warrant. They always seem to do the most engaging, the most excessive use of force when it's a marginalized minority. When it's black people, they seem to engage in the most excessive force. Listen, it was a tragedy all around, but I don't think race was involved. Expired tag turns out to an ongoing warrant, an arrest, a leaving the fleeing the scene, and then a fatal mistake. We'll review it all. Arrest made, resignation submitted, irresponsible statements from prominent officials dominate in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, after the shooting death of Dante Wright. And that's where we'll start. Last night, 60 arrested. The yes, night before, 40 arrested. On Sunday night, there was two arrested. Why? They're protesting the death of Dante Wright. Who is he? A 20-year-old with an outstanding warrant. He was pulled over for something different when they realized he had an outstanding warrant for choking and holding a woman at gunpoint for $820 in 2019. They were going to bring him in. And when he went to bring him in with the cuffs almost on, he escaped. As he got into his driver's seat, in comes a woman, a woman with 26 years of experience, a woman who simply just resigned. Kim Potter, uh, quoting her resignation letter. I'm tendering my resignation for the Brooklyn Center Police Department, effective immediately. I have loved every minute of it, serving the community to the best of my ability, but I believe it's in the best interest of the community and my fellow officers if I resign immediately. What was she doing? She was training another rookie officer. What did she do? Instead of using her stun gun, she used a real gun and shot him, and Dante Wright would definitely would uh, eventually die, sadly. Nobody thinks he should have been shot. Nobody thinks he should have died. Uh, I also don't think he should have tried to drive away, especially in today's climate. You'd barely, you'd, nobody even spends a night in prison these days, and you can't escape a warrant. But there's no reason to to shoot. Stun gun probably would have been effective. That's really how they teach, I understand. I also have not found anybody else that confused the gun in, milit- in law enforcement that I've asked and the stun gun. That's the truth. So we'll see where this one goes. Dan Bongina who walked the streets for the NYPD, then won Secret Service. Wait in, cut to. We're spending so much time dealing with these lunatic nutbag leftists. Every single opportunity to cause attribute a racial motive to a police shooting. That serious issue, Sean, like modern police technology, improving use of force training, improving the technologies to use use of force, or, uh, or non-lethals, all of that stuff is... I can guarantee you, burner, taser, whatever, these people up on ta- uh, Capitol Hill have never heard of any of this because they're too busy saying, holy, how do I attribute a racial narrative to this and cause more racial strife so hopefully I can get reelected? None of that's going to happen. Forget about training and new equipment. They're talking about defunding the police. Again, 
and they did defund the police. They're starting to put the money back. They put it back in Oakland. They better put it back in the NY, uh, NYPD, who now went from 38 to 35,000 and had uh, billions cut out of their budget, including the anti-crime unit that was able to predict and project where this next criminal activity would be and able to them to staff and patrol. Uh, to put it in layman's terms. So talk about irresponsible. This is what Dan was talking about. Here's AOC. Dante Wright's killing was not random, disconnected, or an accident. It wasn't. It was the repeated outcome of an indefensible system that grants impunity for state violence. State violence, really. Uh, in, a, in a small community police station is state violence. Rewards it with endlessly growing budgets and the cost of community investment at the cost of community investment and targets those who question that order. It gets worse. Fellow member of the squad, Rashid Talib, is facing intense criticism after being calling for no more policing. The specific tweet is this. It, was not, it wasn't an accident. Policing in our country is inherently and intentionally racist. Dante Wright was met with aggression and violence. I am done with those who condone government-funded murder. No more policing, incarceration, or militarization. It can't be reformed. Really? Senator John Kennedy weighed in on that. Cut four. Without order, there's no justice. We can't have a society without order. And we have decided to hire law enforcement officials to maintain order. We hire whites, blacks, browns, men, women uh, to, to maintain order. Many, many of our, uh, of our uh, uh, law enforcement agencies are, are uh, majority minority. And if you if you decide, just like you want to judge someone solely by the color of their skin, I'll put it this way. If you hate cops just because they're cops, you don't know anything about them, then next time you get in trouble, call a crackhead. Is <laughs> a great way of putting things. So about the thought process, I thought Joe Biden as president was thoughtful in his remarks. He was not looking to inflame the situation. I'm stunned by the irresponsibility of Barack Obama. I mean, it blows me away uh, what he said. So he comes out with a statement that basically Jen Psaki had to walk back. Our hearts are heavy over yet another shooting of a black man, Dante Wright, at the hands of police. It's important to conduct a full and transparent investigation, but this is also a reminder of just how badly we need to reimagine policing and public safety in our country. Really? So reimagine policing and public safety. They have 10 million interactions with the American public on a daily basis, most of which the American public does some bad stuff. And there are problems. And this is a problem. This is bad policing. But it's not intentional bad policing. That's a major difference. But for Barack Obama pretending like he never sat in that seat, that he doesn't understand how great these people are, that he didn't know that on this day, yesterday, they were saluting a Capitol Police officer who gave his life trying to defend the Capitol when it would turned out to be a suicide assailant comes in with a gun in a car and runs him over. And you see four young members of his family, his young wife and two kids, sit there paying the price because their dad chose to be a law enforcement official. So now we still have to reimagine that. There are things you can modernize. There are non-lethal weapons to use. Absolutely. Was a mistake made? Clearly. But do I expect this woman to be charged? Yeah. And should she be? No. Absolutely not. So that's what we're going to hear about. To Jen Psaki's credit, did not agree with the squad. Cut six. What do you make of those comments? Do you disavow her calls for no more policing? 
Look, I, what I can state from here is that um, that's not the president's view. The president's view is that there are necessary, outdated reforms that should be put in place, that there is accountability that needs to happen, that the loss of life is uh, far too high. Okay. Measured. Next. Jane Jay is now on the shelf. It's on pause. Now, if you got the, got the shot, I mean, what are you thinking? Single shot. You don't need the sub-zero temperatures to freeze. Just wondering. You got the shot already. How do you feel? Now they stopped it. According to them, only six or seven cases out of seven million, and you stopped it. Think about all the people that are going to die now because they're not going to get it because they're going to get exposed to it. Is this really worth it? Dr. Marty McCarry, on the decision made by the FDA, quote, Right now, there are, adverse, uh, there are adverse events appear to be extremely rare. CDC will convene a meeting on the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices on Wednesday today to further review these cases and assess their potential significance. Do you realize, now I don't do this for a living, but do you know that there is more, this is about blood clots. Do you know there are more blood clots with birth control pills with women by a mile than this? And how many people are calling for a stoppage of birth control pills? Let me see. I'm checking the wires. None. Dr. Marty McCurry, cut 11. It was an overreaction. They should have paused the J&J vaccine in the group where we saw the complication, that is the blood clot, the six women that had the blood clot, including one death. Now, if we start shutting down medications because one in seven million people died, Lawrence, we're not going to have many medications left to use. Uh, Tylenol kills more people. The job of the FDA is to prevent us from getting snake oil and to protect the public where the risks outweigh the benefits. But we're in a health emergency right now. They should have targeted that that pause to women of childbearing age or those at risk of clots and not be so paternalistic. Whatever happened to letting doctors and patients make their decisions together and letting patients make their own health decisions? Dr. Marty McCurry. So that's stunning. I want them back online. I would not hesitate to do it. I've talked to more people that got it. Uh, it's so effective. It's so easy to transfer. I understand in South Africa in particular, that's what they wanted. Most people choose it. I was looking for it. I got the Pfizer shot one. I'm getting shot two on Monday. Uh, and judging by what I've seen, uh, there's no reason to pause this. I don't think, I know there's tremendous risk and I know everything's new. But we've been in this for a year. The vaccines, all the data has been out. In case this happens, we stop it. Now it creates more doubt with people that run on the shelf anyway. AstraZeneca, the same thing. As Marty McCurry told us in our last hour, the doctor from Johns Hopkins University, he says AstraZeneca is still not approved here, and I don't know why. Do you know we have it here? We sent it to Mexico. We still got plenty left. We can get this whole country up to 60 70%. We're all done. We all go to the beach. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I'll be back with your calls in just a moment. Martha McCallum, this hour. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. She did not have to even tase this young man. It was a misdemeanor warrant. They always seem to do the most engaging, the most excessive use of force when it's a marginalized minority. And George Floyd, they could have given him a ticket for this 
allegation of a $20 uh, fraudulent bill. They could have given him a ticket. They did not have to arrest him. But when it's black people, they seem to engage in the most excessive force, just like the lieutenant in Virginia. All right, that is Benjamin Krupp uh, going from 15, you know, 15 minutes from the Derek Chauvin trial over here to the tragedy, which is uh, the shooting death of um, Dante Wright. With me right now in studio is Martha McCallum. Martha, you probably you heard Benjamin Krupp say that. Uh, he feels this was race-related, that you know if they, the police wouldn't have pulled him over unless he was black and they wouldn't have shot him unless he was black. So this is an obvious tragedy. This young man is gone. His family is mourning him. He has a child. This is an obvious tragedy. What bothers me the most when I look at this situation is that we have we're, we're in a place where everyone is expected to jump right over the due process moment in all of these things. The person who asked for this, Kurt Bogani, the city manager in Brooklyn Center, you know, was faced with a lot of incoming at that news conference and said, "We." Every police officer has a fundamental right to due process. We all know what we saw in the video, but we absolutely need to go through this process. It, it's it's okay to take five minutes a day, 48 hours to dig into these situations. Now, what we, for instance, one of the things that we don't know is what the police knew about Dante Wright before they approached the car because he had an open warrant for his arrest related to an aggravated armed robbery attempt. Choking um, and holding a woman at gunpoint for $820. That's exactly right. So he, he had this outstanding warrant. So did they run his plates and realize that they're dealing with a person who has an outstanding warrant for his arrest when they approached the car? There's a lot of questions about the way they approached that car. I talked to Ted Williams about this last night. He said, I don't understand why they're even next to the open passenger door. That is not where you want to deal with a suspect or even in a traffic situation, you want to get between the police car and their car in a safe place because this is what happens. People sometimes try to flee and try to get back into the car and take off, which is sadly exactly what this young man did. And it, it was a tragic moment that ended up in in his death. So Ted Williams' point was walk him away from the driver's side yes. door? Yes. Get, get in between the police car and his car for exactly that reason, because people do try to flee when they realize that they're about to be arrested um, and try to jump back into the car and hit the gas. It happens. It happens in right. these kind of interactions. So, you know, we, we need to, as a society, have a respect for due process, have a respect for what's playing out. The people who even who watched the Derek Chauvin trial, we all saw that videotape. We all know how horrible that videotape is. Who doesn't watch it and want him to get off of that man's neck right. as soon as he's subdued but the fact of the matter is you can't leapfrog because of the video you can't you know what are we doing here in this courtroom we have a process that plays out we have a jury that decides this case that's the way it works in the united states of america so you know all of these people who want you to just leapfrog past everything because of these videos i i would hate for to see them in this situation where everybody is doing the same thing to them if they are accused well, a couple of things I didn't see the reverse shot until today on another network, but I'm listening to the questions the day they, they introduced this video and said, listen, when she put the sound up and let you hear what That's happened, right. she grabbed the wrong gun. She thought she had a taser, 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 shot the gun. 
there were activists there. They weren't journalists. It was at the, he was addressing was like an angry mop. So you didn't have anybody without a pointed question that says she's guilty. It's it's a racial issue. So the, the, the he said one more question. The police chief said one more question. Doesn't he leaves? So the mayor comes back up and says, why did the police chief leave? Can you bring him back here? So they got to go bring the police chief back to answer more angry questions. They weren't journalistic questions. And then he And this is, is the gone. deputy police chief who just got pushed into that role yeah. because the other guy resigned. Resigned. Mm-hmm. Why? Why did he resign? I'm not really sure why he resigned. Number two is the, um, the, uh, the examiner never should have, uh, he never should have resigned. He'd never been fired. This mayor, this mayor is out of control. I mean, what is this mayor doing? He's so over his head. He can't put a sentence together, number one. And number two, he's letting everybody go. Like, it's already done. The die has been cast. No, no the, again, there, there's a process that we go through. That's how this country works. This isn't some sort of authoritarian regime where someone looks at a situation and makes a decision, and that's it. You fire everybody and clear the decks. This is the same person, this Mayor Elliott, of Brooklyn Center, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, who says maybe on traffic stops, the police officers shouldn't be armed at all. Exactly. Maybe there are certain situations where they shouldn't have their gun with them. For example, when they pull someone over at a traffic stop. Has he seen the tape of what happened in New Mexico? AR-15. The that guy in AR-15 it, and just blows him away. Just like the Dante Wright case is heart-wrenching. Yeah. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I fundamentally disagree with President Trump and... uh, announcing a one-may withdrawal, although he did have in mind that there would be certain conditions before the United States would withdraw, and that would be, uh, hopefully, we would have a peace agreement negotiated between the Afghan government and the Taliban, and also a ceasefire. We don't have any of that. We have stalemated negotiations. Um, uh, Secondly, the Taliban has increased the level of violence uh, in the country itself. So the Taliban sees uh, that th- there's political weakness here in the United States in terms of the resolve to stay, and they've been obviously taking advantage of that situation. I think this decision is misguided because it's reckless and it's also shameful. It's shameful because we're abandoning the, the Afghan government. And in my mind, it's a surrender to the Taliban. It is in everybody's mind. Uh, Martha McCallum here. Well, I don't want to put, uh, put get ahead of you, Martha, but your, your show starts at 3, and during your show, there's probably going to be a press conference where that uh, the statement that was leaked out yesterday intentionally that we're going to be pulling out of Afghanistan on 9-11-2001 and begin the pullout May 1st is something Donald Trump started, but it was being delayed because it was conditions-based. This pullout is not conditions-based. What does it mean? Well, we will be covering—the president will be delivering some remarks on Afghanistan around uh, 2.15, we believe, this afternoon, maybe a little bit later than that. Then he'll head to Arlington National Cemetery to Section 60, uh, which is an area where we have— those lost in Afghanistan where where they lie, where they rest. So, you know, this is—I'm just constantly reminded when you think about the September 11th date, it's— it's a obvious sort of commemorative date. It's a very important date in the United States in United States history, but it's an arbitrary date. 
when it comes to the situation on the ground. And what happened to signaling to our enemies when we're leaving? We've now given them, I don't know, what is that, six six months, something like that, um, to say, oh, okay, uh, on September 11th, and they probably will enjoy the um, the sort of connection of that date as well, right? They'll like that date as well. Um, because they can commemorate what they did, what Osama bin Laden did, what Al Qaeda did um, in New York and in a field in Pennsylvania and in and at the Pentagon, they'll like the twenty-year date. Good, good riddance. Goodbye. Now you've given us an open opportunity to take over Kabul again uh, and to build a safe haven. Um, they have long memories, as we know. Right. Uh, Twenty thousand wounded. Two thousand four hundred American troops have lost their lives in Afghanistan, but not lately. I mean, it's been relatively calm. There are more uh, accidents, sadly, in American bases in America mm-hmm. than there are in Afghanistan. Why? Because it's a holding pattern. We're trying to stand up that government, and it's been frustrating, and there's been missteps. I don't think anyone doubts that. But there's rare earth there. We didn't touch it. China's there. Yes. They're mining it. And then if we move out, Iran moves in. Now, they used to be arch enemies with the uh, Taliban, but they seem to have mm-hmm. gotten over that because— we're there, and they, together we have an enemy. And Pakistan goes, okay, I no longer I'm have to worry about my terrorists, mm-hmm. so I am out. They say the only thing keeping the Taliban from taking Kabul is our airstrikes. So how hard would it have been to stay there? And if you tell the American people, remember 9-11? We're commemorating 20 years. When we pull out, uh, al-Qaeda's back, ISIS is there. I'm concerned it's going to be a terror haven. I think that that's a good exchange with any American, whether it's somebody critical, we should pull out like Donald Trump, or somebody who thinks we should stay forever and take the country over, which I don't think is right. So 2,400 Americans, they'll be going to begin. We had about 2,000 on the ground. They're going to begin to come out. What do you think it's going to be like as we pull out? you think it's going to be peaceful? Well, we've been down this road before. You know, we've been down this road in Iraq. We saw the sort of arbitrary date that was made by then-President Obama, and they ended up having to bring troops back in. You know, these—you look at our— posture around the world in Germany or in North Korea there's reasons why there are certain places that we have people on the ground now, you can raise legitimate questions I think about about Germany um, and whether or not those troops would be better off in places like Ukraine for example and some of the areas that are threatened by Russia now um, but in Afghanistan there is a purpose and there's I think a good argument to be made as Senator Graham has made you know a force of 3,000 4,000 something in that neighborhood that is on the ground to act as a deterrent to the regrouping of, of the Taliban, the regrouping of al-Qaeda. Yeah, the problem is, and I didn't agree with him, and most people don't agree with me, I thought it was very bad for President Trump to say we're leaving May 1st. Why? Why are we leaving? Do you understand that's where al-Qaeda and ISIS are? It made no sense. Yeah. And remember, he used to criticize telegraphing the date that you're going to leave, right? Right. And then he did that. So, yes, but, that's but, a valid criticism. But do you also agree with me that he showed flexibility? Because in minute he said, I want everybody out of Syria we were doing great yeah. things with uh, with the Kurds in Syria. Then he kind of delayed that a little bit. He said, okay, we'll hold in this area. Yep. And then the Pentagon said, listen, if we pull out right away, this will be X, Y, and Z. And he said, all right, we'll hold off for now. Now, Joe Biden said this back in 2014. Remember, he's been wrong about every national security decision over the last 20 years, according to one of the most respected people in Washington, uh, Bill Gates, uh, Bob Gates, uh, former Secretary of Defense and Secretary of State. Cut 18. And in fact, in the meantime, what we said we would do, we would help train the Afghan military. It's their responsibility to take over their own security. That's why with 49 of our allies in Afghanistan, we've agreed on a gradual drawdown. So we're out of there by the year 20, in the year 2014. 
But we are leaving. We are leaving in 2014, period. Not true. It's 2021. And we're still there. And it's no one to blame is because it's not a matter of winning or losing. It's holding enough, long enough to allow the government to establish itself so they have a semblance of human rights. Just so you know, don't tell me you're into the rights of all people because as we leave, the Taliban will repress every woman. They get ripped right out of school. They go right behind the closet door. They do not have jobs. They do not have education at any level. No, that, that, that's absolutely true. And when you look back at the withdrawal from Iraq and what happened and the need to put troops back in there, and I remember President Obama saying Afghanistan is the place where we really should have gone in the first place. Um, and that he was wanted the good to, war. Yeah, it was a good war, and he wanted to make sure that our presence was there. It, it's kind of like every nobody likes endless wars. We would love for everyone to be able to come home. But you have to ask yourself, what happens on the chessboard when you move those pieces? Who moves into the space that point. you left? So it's not, and it is about our national security. We are there um, because we are, you know, the most generous nation on earth, and we do care about human rights. But the primary reason that we're there is because we it is a national security need, and. We know, as I said before, that their memories are long, and there's no reason to, to think that if they can't regroup that they won't try to attack the United States again. These are long, simmering disputes that are historical. Um, and, and if you leave that spot open, it will be filled. And what General Jack Keane said is perception is everything. And it looks like America lost. And if you lose, that emboldens the people that beat you. And the last time when, when Russia lost Afghanistan, they were the Soviet Union. They were never the same. I'm not saying that we're going to lose our power, but perception is everything. And now all of a sudden, people are going to go with the strong horse. Hey, you know that 18-year-old wondering what he's going to do for his life? I think I'm going to join ISIS. They just beat America. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to join the Taliban. I'm going to go to Afghanistan. The next generation bin Ladens are going to be, uh, be going there. Here's what uh, Senator Lindsey Graham said, cut 20. To all of you who are listening, you remember where you're at on September 11th. 2001, our military told President Biden that if you withdraw all of our forces, al-Qaeda and ISIS will come roaring back, um, Afghanistan would disintegrate into civil war, and we can avoid all of that by having three to 5,000 American forces making sure that ISIS and al-Qaeda never come back to hurt us. He rejected that advice. Afghanistan is going to deteriorate pretty rapidly. Al-Qaeda and ISIS are going to come back. He's paving the way for another 9-11. I think Joe Biden on foreign policy has been completely incompetent and destabilizing. What he's done with the Iranians is a threat to everything we've accomplished in the Mideast. I just hope and pray that I'm wrong. But I know what was going to I knew what was going to happen in Iraq. Afghanistan is going to be worse. He's not wrong. And it did happen in Iraq. And he and John McCain called it. Yes, they did. You know, I, I'm. Think about the big picture as well. Joe Biden, it looks like, is about to have some very serious foreign policy challenges on his desk at the White House. There are Russian troops amassing on the Ukraine border right now in a way that we haven't seen since the invasion of Crimea. You have an increase in hostilities in the South China Sea that has everybody uh, you know, on edge, uh, moving aircraft carriers into that region China has. So then you've got Iran. 
emboldened by the possibility of having a deal again and also, you know, really calling the shots like, oh, actually, no, <laughs> you know, unless you lift the sanctions, we are going to continue to enrich at the levels um, beyond the agreement anyway. So if you want to get back into the deal, you can come talk to us. They know that, you know, they have they have support from other places that China and Russia, you know, everybody benefits from the decrease in U.S. power. So President Biden, uh, you know, can be focused domestically right now on COVID and all of these things. But you better watch what's coming when you're the president of the United States, because he's about to have some really serious confrontational issues. And it, everybody's going to be watching very closely. And these are man-made disasters. No one there was no clamor here to get 2000 troops out of Afghanistan. There wasn't. And there was no clamor here to take on Russia because they've been relatively quiet over the last three years. Do you realize that? That's true. You know, whatever you want to say about them making up this Russia hoax and Donald Trump likes uh, Vladimir Putin too much, I didn't. I, he was not even rattling the cage of the uh, of the Ukrainians, and it was Donald Trump that gave the Ukrainians lethal weapons to defend themselves. This is all bringing that back up. And with China, um, they, they were belligerent and they were a little out of control. Not like this. They weren't making statements that we consider us your equal. They weren't berating Mike Pompeo in Alaska, telling yeah. him that how dare you have black lives, yeah, but the way true. you're— uh, the carnage you have with black African-Americans and slavery, you have no right to dictate to us human rights uh, because of what's happening domestically. It's very hard to see the moves that China and Russia are making right now as anything other than a perception that there is a coordination, a weaker uh, presence. Right and a coordination, now. do you think? Because they do oh, talk. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you know, this is a moment that they think they can move into that void. I, I don't. Obviously, the Biden administration doesn't see it that way. The secretary of state doesn't see it that way. But um, but the actions tell the most. Right. I mean, their movements, their military movements really tell us what they're seeing and what they think they can get away with right now. I'm going to. By the way, here's what the Taliban said when this was announced. They're upset. We're not leaving May 1st. They said we are not agreeing with this delay. The American-led war in Afghanistan was won and lost several times over the past two decades. So they reject the Pentagon pushing back the, uh, the deadline from to 9-11. And they rejected our overtures to me about a power-sharing agreement with the current uh, government in Afghanistan. And I know what you're saying. You know, we, we're $680 billion overdrawn in March Alone, six hundred eighty billion, the third highest in the history of our country. We outspent ourselves. So, and a lot of you say, "Who cares about Afghanistan?" Just know, the people that go there know what's happening there, and there would have been a way to sustain our force there. And I just hope they uh, they'd sober up. But I'm not optimistic. Listen, when we come back, we're going to find out two things: if there's more to know, and there might not be. We might know everything. Number two, we're going to find out what's on your show at three o'clock. Showing I don't know everything because I don't know. I will share it with you if back you come back. Thank you. Calisthenics for your brain. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. You up on the radio? Oh, we got that. Uh, let's see your phone. <laughs> Shot Are you morning. kidding me? That is Brian spilling his coffee that he was referencing. In between the breaks, Brian goes in there and he talks on Facebook with his radio producers. This was about an hour ago. And it's all over your phone. Did your phone work? Uh, my phone is very wet and very awake because it needed the caffeine. But it, it was one of those coffees where you took one sip out of it and I put it down and I knocked the whole thing over. So this is that. I walked into the green room right after this. Brian's cleaning it up. 
And I said, uh, I know who did it, Brian. <laughs> because I tend to spill a lot of things in the morning, and I do. <laughs> uh, I am Italian, Martha McCallum, mm-hmm. and I move my hands a lot. And that's not good if I have hot items around me. Yeah. Which is why you don't I invite me over. I spilled coffee all over my desk yesterday you morning did? if it makes you feel any better. It makes me feel much better. Yeah, yeah. Did it get over you? It was all over all my papers okay. and all my stuff. Because you're wearing a white outfit now. No, I now. know. I have to be really careful today because I also am a spiller. If I can make it through the day with this white sweater and these beige pants on without getting something on them, it's going to be a miracle. Can I tell you that surprises me? Because you look like somebody who really doesn't, everything's neat. No, can I tell you the back. truth? I'm always rushing and right. that's my own problem. I get in my own way because I think if I do things fast, then I will get to the next thing faster, and then you end up cleaning up all the coffee on your desk. Now, does that something every New Year's, they say, what kind of re- resolution mm-hmm. you want to make? Yeah, Is that year. the one you always make? Every year. I'm even... going to live in the moment and slow down. <laughs> <How's> <laughs> I'm still waiting for it to work. Absolutely. It's not going well. Let's find out. And by the way, Martha, first tell me who's going to be on your show. So we have John Ratcliffe today because, as you know, there is testimony. Um, Chris Ray and the other leaders of our national security team are testifying about the threats that America faces right now. This is something that everybody should be paying close attention yep. to for the reasons that we talked about before. Um, we've been so inwardly focused, of course, with this pandemic, but there's a lot going on in the world, and we need to know what those threats are. We'll also talk to Jack Keane and Michael Waltz about the new plan for a September 11th withdrawal from Afghanistan. Yes. Let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. So let's start, Martha. You go first. Really? Okay, more to know. Um, The AP draws ridicule after suggesting that mistress really isn't, it's not kind. Brian, so that yes, so she should be referred to as a friend or companion. Apparently, we have to have a little bit of respect for the woman who is financially supported by a man who's married to another woman. Right. I have other names for her that are not as nice (laughs) as mistress. Okay. Right. So if you are a mistress out there, just know that you should you you're getting dissed, and the new and the new vernacular would be friend. Yeah. No. No. Listen, honey, you are what you are. Call it what it is. All right. Uh, I like the word honey. It sounds like you're a little uh, angry. (laughs) Next, two-thirds of Americans would rather exercise at home than go back to the gym. Ever since the pandemic, 85% say their new routines have allowed them to find time for themselves. Away from the family, three-quarters feel that the past year isolating indoors has allowed them to reconnect with their bodies and improve their Mm. self-confidence. Have you reconnected with your body? Yes, and in fact, this is the one area that I would like to hang on to from COVID because you know me. I want everyone back at work. I want everyone back at school. I want everyone to live their lives. But the one thing that I have done is that I... I'm a Peloton person, and I exercise at home or I run, and I like it. I like it a lot. I right. don't think I would ever go back to the gym. To be I got 15 honest. minutes. It has nothing to do with COVID. It just has to do with liking this system better. That's all. And by the way, you look in great shape. I can say that. Well, thank you. Brian. As a friend, that's very kind of you. So do you, as always. Uh, uh, but Peloton, I have it. But I also think I need more. The girls, my daughters, have it. Jump to the app on the Peloton. Oh, I love that the app. With that, right? The app is so, great. And know what I got for Christmas? Uh, they got me the Fight Club. So you ever see that heavy bag along with the also oh, an app? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, and we're building up a little area in our house for that. So we totally agree. Um, so that was that my story or your story? That was your story. So take yours. Take the next so one. So I'm going to do uh, the U.S. ranking the states. People have ranked the states. Guess what's number one? Hawaii. <laughs> Did you know that? Yes. I think you looked. Hawaii. Guess, guess what's number 48? 
You tell me. My home state of New Jersey. You're in New Jersey. You know what? This morning, so I took pictures in New Jersey of the most amazing daffodils and this beautiful church and all of these flowers. I thought, this is, people don't understand. This is New Jersey. This is my New Jersey. New Jersey is a beautiful place, but I have no problem with being number 48. Stay away. Let us live in our state. I would like the taxes to be a heck of a lot lower right. than they are in New Jersey. Um, but other than that, it's a beautiful place. Yeah. How did New York end up eight? Upstate, I could see Long Island, perhaps. But New York City is a hellhole right now, I isn't know. it? I think people's dream of New York is what makes it number eight, but yeah. it's such a sad place right now. Thanks, Martha. See you three. Thank you, Brian. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.